Good morning, church. We'll be in Psalm 23 this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. If I haven't met you, I'm Richard, one of the elders here, and this morning I'm preaching on what's probably the most well-known and well-loved passage in all of Scripture. Uh, People who've never been in a church or in a synagogue before are familiar with the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, and other than maybe John 3.16, this is probably also the most memorized passage in the whole Bible. So I'm preaching this morning on what's probably a really familiar text to many of us, But I want us to see together what I've discovered in the last month of really digging into this passage, which is that there's more here than I realized. Uh, I memorized this text in college in an Old Testament class almost 25 years ago, and I've recited it to myself probably thousands of times over the years. But recently, I've discovered that the psalm is even better than I'd previously known, and it has more implications for our lives than I'd previously realized. And so I hope to help you discover the same thing this morning. Before we get into it, let's ask for the Lord's help. Father, would you speak through your word this morning? Um, would you show us what is true about us and about you? And would you use that truth to change our hearts and our minds? And as I speak, may the, the words of my mouth... And may the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So King David, the author of this psalm and indeed most of the psalms, was a shepherd before he was a king. Most of us, on the other hand, have had little direct interaction with sheep except maybe at a petting zoo or the stock show. We're, by and large, city people or suburb people in this church. Uh, My wife, Dawn, as it turns out, is a minor exception to this because she was in Future Farmers of America and literally raised a sheep in high school. Uh, But that was the last one. She's only raised one sheep, so that's a minor exception. And maybe some of you have more direct experience. Maybe you've even grown up on a farm or something. But for most of us, our congregation is not in the livestock world. And I mention this because I think it's the key to understanding this psalm. David is playing out this extended metaphor about the Lord as a shepherd and his people as sheep, and a lot of the good stuff in this psalm, it turns out, is in the details that would be obvious to a shepherd and basically invisible to us. So I've had to learn a lot about sheep and shepherding in the last month in preparation for this message. Uh, And this morning, we're going to talk a lot about the Lord, but we're also going to talk more about sheep than you might have expected when you got up this morning, and it's going to be good. Uh, So here's the theme we're going to see as we go through this. The the Christian life is a life that is characterized by joyful obedience in the midst of trials because we have a good and great shepherd who cares for us comprehensively. 
The Christian life is a life of joyful obedience in the midst of trials because we have a good and great shepherd who cares for us comprehensively. And to see that, we're going to focus on three things. First, who the shepherd is and how the sheep come to have that particular shepherd. Second, how the shepherd cares for the sheep. And three, where the shepherd leads his sheep. And then we'll talk a bit about the implications of all that for our day-to-day lives. So first off, who the shepherd is. The first five words of this psalm are the foundation for the whole rest of the psalm. All the stuff later about lying in green pastures and not fearing in the valley and having goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life, all of that depends on this. The Lord is my shepherd. If I'm under his care, if I belong to his flock, all the rest of these things in the psalm are true. They characterize my experience in life. If I'm not part of his flock, if I don't belong to him, whether I belong to another shepherd's flock or I'm just wandering off in the wilderness on my own, in that case, none of the rest of this is true. It just it doesn't apply to me. So this brings us to the first fact about sheep that would have been obvious to David and other shepherds, but that we might miss, which is the number one thing that dictates the quality of life for a sheep is the goodness and competence of the shepherd who owns the sheep. If you have a good shepherd, you live a good life as a sheep. If you have a bad shepherd or no shepherd at all, things aren't going to go so well for you, which seems like painfully obvious when I say it, but I think is a big key to this psalm. And we know this with pets, for example. If you see a happy, healthy dog, even if they're at the dog park away from their owner, you can generally assume that they have a competent, caring owner. And if you see, well, you've seen how a neglectful or uncaring owner leads to a miserable dog. And it's the same thing with sheep, and in this metaphor, it's the same thing with us. So David, in those first five words, is already expressing joy and security. When he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, Yahweh, remember when you see that all caps, Lord, in the Bible, it's the, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And he's saying, Yahweh, this God who made everything and who made me and who's cared for our people for generations, I'm his. I belong to his flock. I'm a lucky sheep because look who I got as a shepherd. Now, how does a particular sheep come to belong to a particular shepherd? There are some exceptions, but in general, it's one of two ways. The, the sheep is either born from one of the ewes that's already in the flock or the sheep is bought by the shepherd. In our case, if we apply this metaphor using the rest of Scripture, we become sheep belonging to this particular shepherd, um, both by purchase and by birth. We were slaves to sin. Jesus bought our freedom. He ransomed us at the cost of his own life on the cross. But he doesn't just take us into his flock. He offers us freedom that we can choose or not, and then if we choose it, we're reborn, or born again in Jesus' words, into his flock. And Jesus picks up on this. He describes himself as a shepherd gathering his sheep in John 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. First Peter 2, 24 and 25 says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So if you belong to this shepherd, to the Lord, you didn't just choose it, you were bought and born into it. How awesome is that? 
That, that was one of the first things that stuck out to me as I was studying this passage, that even those first five words matter. By the way, shepherd was already a well-established metaphor for king in the ancient Near East. You see statues of Egyptian pharaohs, for example, where they're holding a shepherd's crook, uh, which would be a symbol of their authority. So while David was literally a shepherd before he was a king, most kings weren't. Um, So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I think he's intentionally playing out a metaphor of Yahweh as shepherd, like we're talking about this morning. But he's also saying what he says in a lot of other psalms, namely that Yahweh is king, king over all the other kings, including David. So shepherd here is a stronger statement of authority and control than we might even hear it as. All right, we're only five words in, and there's a lot of other good stuff. So let's get to point two, which is most of the psalm, how the shepherd cares for his sheep. Um, I see eight things here, provision, protection, peace, presence, direction. Sorry, Matt, they're not all peace. Um, Health, abundance, and hope. I know that went really fast, so I'm going to go through each of them and show you where it is in the the passage. Uh, All right, first off, provision. The shepherd cares for the sheep by providing for practical needs like food and water. Um, Verse 2, green pastures. That's not just a nice place to sit for a picnic. Like, we go to green pastures, we bring food. If you're a sheep, the green pastures are the food. So that's providing food. Um, Still waters in verse 2. Sheep can drink from still waters. Sheep would not drink from rushing waters because it would be scary and dangerous. So still waters are, you provide me with water that I can actually drink. Um, And then in verse 5, prepare a table before me is a picture of a feast of food and drink. So the shepherd is providing for those practical needs. Number two, protection from danger and threats. Um, We see this in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, Well, why is the rod and staff comforting? uh, So shepherd would carry kind of two sticks. The rod is the short one that is like a club that you would use to, like David talks about how he's used the club on a lion or a a wolf, um, literally protecting his sheep. And then The staff, which we'll talk about in a minute, is like the shepherd's crook you're used to seeing, the longer, skinnier one, maybe with a hook at the end, that's used for directing the sheep. So the rod in particular is comforting here because it's a symbol of protection. It says this shepherd can protect me from the wolf or lion or bear or whatever that would try to eat me. And then you see the same thing in verse 5. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. In the same way that rushing waters wouldn't practically be providing water to the sheep, so you take the sheep next to a waterfall, sure, you're giving them water, but you're not really giving them water because they can't practically drink from it. The implication in verse 5 when it says, you prepare this feast for me in the presence of my enemies, is that I can actually enjoy it. Because while I enjoy it, you're protecting me from those enemies. Otherwise, it's like, that's a nice feast, but I can't let down my guard and actually enjoy it. Notice that in both verse 4 and verse 5, there are very real predators and enemies and danger. So this is protection in the midst of trials, not protection from trials. I mean, he, he could have said, you know, you take me to a place where there are no predators and I'm safe because of where you took me, but that's not the picture here. The picture is the shepherd is protecting 
the sheep in the midst of these trials and dangers that are right there visible to the sheep. And that becomes particularly important with this third thing we see the shepherd providing, which is peace, that is internal peace. So even in the presence of those threats, it says, you make me lie down, verse 2. This is the thing I, I've missed for years in this passage that, again, would be obvious to a shepherd like David. Sheep are prey animals. They pretty much exist to get eaten sooner or later, uh, and they know it. So they are naturally nervous and vigilant. They're kind of always looking around for what do I need to run away from. As a result, they'll only lie down when they feel safe. Otherwise, they remain standing so that they can run away quickly. So I've never had sheep, but I do have ducks. Uh, we have, for the last six months, our family has been raising ducks, and I discovered in the last month as I've learned about sheep that ducks are a lot like sheep, particularly in this respect. They know their food. Like, sitting duck is a phrase for a reason. And it, but it could just as well be sitting sheep. Uh, so for most of the life of our ducks up to this point, if any human comes nearby or any bird flies over, they immediately jump to their feet. Or if they're in the, the pool, they immediately jump out of the water and get ready to run away. They're always ready to run. So if they're lying down, they're lying down because they feel safe. And if they're lying down in green pastures, they're lying down because they feel full and safe. It's like lying down in the middle of food. Um, I have a picture of what this looks like. This is our ducks lying down in a green pasture. Three months ago, this would never have happened. If I'd walked close enough to get this picture, they would have been on their feet. Like, is he going to do something to me? Uh, but they've learned over time that their uh, duck shepherd, whatever that is, uh, <laughs> will actually protect them from danger. Uh, they feel safe in my presence now, so I can walk out and be a, a couple feet away from the ducks, and they'll stay lying down. And that's the picture we have here, that the shepherd has proven himself to be good and capable. He doesn't just want to protect the sheep. He actually can protect the sheep because he's got the rod. He's used the rod before on predators. And so the sheep are comfortable letting down their guard and saying, you've got this. Uh, all right. No more cute ducks. They're, they're distracting. Thanks, Angie. Uh, <laughs> all right. There's several other places where we see pictures of peace. Verse 2, the still waters are a picture of peace. Verse 3, he restores my soul. Verse 4, I will fear no evil, kind of directly says, I don't need to be afraid. Uh, the rod and staff being comforting, we've already talked about, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. So there's this picture of I can be at peace because I have real protection. Number four, presence. The shepherd cares for the sheep with his presence. And we see this in several places in verse 2 and 3. We see he leads me, not just he sends me out, but he's leading me. And an interesting thing about shepherds in David's time versus shepherds now, uh, shepherds now often walk behind the sheep, you know, sometimes with sticks, like guiding the sheep along, um, which is sort of like gently scaring them to go any particular direction, like they're moving away from you. Shepherds in David's time followed, uh, led the sheep, rather. The sheep would follow the shepherd. And Jesus talks about this, and like, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. So they're comfortable in the shepherd's presence so that the shepherd starts going somewhere and the sheep follow. 
My ducks only do this about a third of the time. <laughs> and they're easily distracted by other food. Uh, number five, direction. The shepherd cares for the sheep by providing direction. Uh, verse two, he makes me lie down. Yeah, I can picture the shepherd saying, it's okay, lie down, uh, like reassuring the sheep. This is what you're going to do right now. Um, again, verse two, leads me beside still waters. Verse three, leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Um, by the way, the for his name's sake is interesting here because the shepherd's reputation is shaped by the health of the sheep. And again, we see this with pets. Like a well-behaved dog gets compliments for being a well-behaved dog, and the owner also gets compliments for having a well-behaved dog because you assume that the behavior of the dog is a reflection on the owner. It's the same thing here. So the, the sheep doing what they're supposed to do reflects on the sheep, but also brings honor to the shepherd. And the reverse is true as well. If the sheep are out of control and always wandering off, that says something about the goodness and competence of the shepherd. So he leads me in these paths for my good, but also for his name's sake. Um, and then, let's see, verse 4, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. After the leads me, leads me, I think the picture here is I'm following him through this. He's showing me how to get through the valley and out the other side, not just leaving me in it. Um, number six, health. Uh, this is in verse five, you anoint my head with oil. In the context of sheep, putting oil on their heads, uh, sometimes oil with things in it, is a way to, to ward off parasites like flies. So sheep are particularly among livestock subject to parasites of various kinds, and a lot of them get at them by landing on their head and like, trying to get in their eyes and nose and stuff. And shepherds will put things on the sheep's heads to ward off the, those small, annoying attacks. Uh, shepherds will also put oil on the heads of their uh, male sheep, the rams, because the way the rams kind of fight for dominance in the flock is ramming. Yeah, turns out the name makes sense. Ramming their heads together, like locking horns. And if you don't want your sheep's, your, your rams to hurt each other, you'd, you want the horns to kind of slip off. And so they'll anoint their, their horns with oil to, again, keep them healthy, keep them from getting brain damage, running into each other to try to be the top ram. Uh, this phrase, anoint my head with oil, as we've seen from other psalms, also has a lot of other biblical symbolism. So I think this one's not just a sheep thing. This is not just about health. Um, oil on your head sometimes in the Bible symbolizes joy or gladness. Uh, sometimes oil on the head symbolizes welcome because people would anoint a guest's head with oil when they arrive in your house. Like they've had a long journey and, and a way to say, you're welcome here is to put scented oil on their head. Try that the next time friends come over. Uh, practical applications already. <laughs> uh, number, the, the third thing we see in the Bible, um, and probably the secondary meaning here, is that you anoint a, a prophet or a king with oil to symbolize God's calling and favor on them. So David was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be king of Israel by Samuel pouring oil on David's head. And so remember, uh, shepherd as an, an image of the king, I think this is another callback to that. So it has a practical reference for health, but it also has this symbolic kingly reference. Number seven, abundance. 
The shepherd provides abundantly for the sheep. Um, Verse 1, I shall not want. And want here doesn't mean uh, desire. Want here means need. Like, I don't want for anything is a kind of old way of saying, I have everything I need. So, I shall not want means I'm I'm not going to need anything because this Lord is my shepherd. Um, Verse 2, lie down in green pastures. As we already said, the sheep would be standing and grazing in a green pasture if they were hungry, but because they're full, they can lie down. They don't need to eat anymore. So it's like lying down at the buffet. (laughs) I'm full, I'm going to take a nap now. Um, So I've been provided for abundantly. Um, My cup overflows in verse 5 is a picture of, I have so much wine that it doesn't fit in my cup. Um, And I'm assuming it's not like literally, like they've poured the wine and now you can't drink it because it's overflowed. But it's more a picture of, I have so much that my cup is never going to run out. It's going to keep getting refilled. Uh, verse 6, goodness and mercy, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Uh, and the follow me part of it, I think, is a picture of abundance. I have so much goodness and mercy that I don't have to go after it and find it. It just follows me. Everywhere I go, there's goodness and mercy following me because the shepherd provides it so abundantly. And then finally, hope. The shepherd provides hope, confidence in the future. Uh, Again, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So there's hope in that. Like, I'm going to have this shepherd forever. And then verse 6 again, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So confidence that I'm going to continue to have the presence of this shepherd and all the goodness that comes with it. So the shepherd cares for the sheep with everything the sheep need and more. Provision, protection, peace, presence, direction, health, abundance, and hope. So we've talked about who the shepherd is, how the shepherd cares for the sheep. Point three is where the shepherd leads his sheep. The shepherd in this psalm isn't just bringing good things to the sheep. He's leading them somewhere. So where does he lead? Three places. Number one, he leads the sheep to green pastures and still waters. In other words, he guides the sheep towards goodness and provision. Jesus picks up on this in Luke 12, talking to his disciples. He says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. So this image of green pastures suggests God providing in particularly life-giving ways for the sheep, like leading them to that goodness. There, there are two main ways you feed livestock like sheep. Uh, you either lead them to healthy pastures or you bring them prepared food like grain or hay or something like feed you get from a feed store. And you've probably seen both of these as you drive around our state. Uh, for example, there's a small farm that I walk by a lot near my house where there are a few horses and cows and they spend their days standing in a completely barren pen eating hay. There's like no grass or anything. It's just dirt and then a pile of hay that they're munching on there. 
which is frankly not a great life compared to when you're out driving, uh, maybe up in some of the high meadows, and you see horses or cows out on a healthy green pasture eating a variety of plants in a living landscape. So that's the picture here, is not just he brings me just enough nutrition to get by, like the rations from the feed store, but he leads me into an abundant and healthy pasture as he provides for me, green pastures and still waters. That's the first place the shepherd leads. The second, the shepherd leads his sheep in paths of righteousness. Verse 3. David doesn't seem to be going as metaphorical with this one. Like, we typically wouldn't use righteousness to refer to sheep, but rather to people. Like, those are some righteous sheep. Look at how well they're behaved. Uh, In other words, the Lord is showing his people what is right and leading them into it. And this is encouraging to me. God doesn't just expect us to behave rightly. He shows us how, and he leads us into it. And, of course, like sheep, as we sang, we are prone to wander. Uh, prone to wander off the path towards things that look right, like there are some plants that look delicious to a sheep but are actually poisonous to them. But the shepherd, with his staff, brings us back into the path of righteousness, leads us in this path. We pray some variation on this as part of our confession and forgiveness part of the service every Sunday. Uh, In fact, we directly prayed it this week, all we like sheep have gone astray. Uh, Brennan helpfully gave us sheep references from the Bible in every single part of the service today. So thanks for maximizing our our sheep metaphors. Um, But there's some variation on this. Like we want to do this thing, we've gone astray, and he leads us back, and we pray for the, like, lead me back into where you want me to go. And hopefully that's a part of your personal prayers when you fall. It's lead me back in this path of righteousness in some way. Number three, the shepherd leads the sheep to his own house. Verse six, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. House of the Lord in the Old Testament is symbolic of the place where the Lord is particularly present. It's it's the temple, and the temple is the place you go to meet with God. Even though God is everywhere, he's somehow particularly there, and it's the maximum presence of God for the people of God. So he's leading the sheep into his presence. So it's not go over there and be a good sheep. It's come into my presence, come be with me, and be a good sheep here. Before we wrap up, let's look at a few implications for our lives. So, First, as I explained at the beginning, all the blessings described in this psalm are contingent on those first five words, the Lord is my shepherd. So if you're not already in his flock, if you can't say, the Lord is my shepherd, The first application of all this is to become one of his sheep. Respond to Jesus' invitation to follow him. And that's as simple as repentance and faith. You can pray something like, Jesus, I turn from following another shepherd and wandering on my own. I accept that by your death and resurrection, you've bought me and set me free from my sin. And I want to follow you as one of your sheep. If that's you this morning, I encourage you to pray something like that and become someone who can say, this Lord is my shepherd. And during our last couple of songs this morning, we'll probably have some leaders in the back with the, the Grace City volunteer lanyard on, and they would love to pray with you and talk with you if, if this is how you're responding this morning. Second application, if the Lord is your shepherd, 
live like you have the kind of shepherd David talks about in this psalm caring for you. Anxiety is widespread in our society. People worry about everything from health to work to money to relationships. Uh, Many people are just generally anxious without any particular cause they can put their finger on. And sometimes in our culture, that's treated as a badge of honor. If you're not busy, stressed, and anxious, you must have it easy, and that's kind of suspicious. But let's picture that flock of sheep that David's talking about with this good and great shepherd. The sheep are in a healthy green pasture. They've had their fill of food. There's still fresh waters nearby, and they've had all they need to drink. The shepherd has his rod ready, and he's vigilantly watching for predators. The shepherd says to the sheep in a gentle but commanding voice, lie down, be at peace. I'm going to keep you safe. So the sheep lie down in the pasture, all but one. One sheep remains standing, nervously looking around, ready to run from a predator or grab a quick meal in case the pasture disappears. If we were watching that happen, we'd recognize that that one sheep's behavior doesn't fit the reality of the shepherd's care. Something's wrong there. The sheep's anxiety isn't good for the sheep, and it declares that the shepherd isn't trustworthy. But I find myself, and maybe you do too, so often behaving like that one nervous sheep. Like, I've got this shepherd. He's providing for me. But I'm a little suspicious that he may not come through this time. So I'm going to take care of things myself. So when Jesus says in Luke 12, what I read already, don't be anxious, don't be worried, this is what he's talking about. Anxiety doesn't make sense for the sheep in the care of a good and competent shepherd. Now, the fact that he had to say to his disciples more than once, don't be anxious, not just here, but in other places too, um, indicates that his disciples struggled with anxiety too, like us. So what do we do with this? Uh, Well, a good friend of mine said to me the other day something like, the Bible frequently tells me how to feel, like be joyful or don't be anxious, but I can't just change how I feel. What am I supposed to do with commands like that? And it's a good question because it can seem like our feelings just are what they are and we can't do anything about them or even that it would be fake or authentic to try to do something about them. But God if God commands us to do something in his word, we need to figure out how to follow that command, even if it seems hard or confusing. We can't just ignore it because he's God and he knows how we were made and he's this good shepherd. So what do we do with it? Well, Jesus gives us this one word clue for what to do with it in Luke 12. Consider the ravens. Consider the lilies. We can't just directly change our feelings But when our feelings don't match what God commands, it's a signal to us that they're out of sync with what's really true. We feel the way we do because we believe something that isn't true or because we don't really believe what we say we believe. So if I'm feeling anxious, which I often do, I need to follow that anxiety back to the underlying belief that it reveals, and then I need to think, meditate, pray, consider what's actually true. So for me, Psalm 23, the one we're talking about today, is my go-to for this. If I'm awake in the middle of the night anxious about money because my business is struggling, I recite to myself, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
he leads me beside still waters. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. I repeat it until my heart believes what my head knows. And then, like the anxious sheep, I can finally obey the shepherd's command and trust him and lie down in the green pasture and rest. Sometimes the feelings are too strong for even that, and so I need people around me who can remind me of the truth. That's my wife, my sons, my friends, many of you. Um, In those moments, I have to be disciplined about not fighting with the truth, though it's tempting. But like Jesus said, I need to consider it and let it sink into my heart. David, the man who wrote this psalm, had trials as great as any of us will ever experience. Um, Like, just to pick a couple, uh, he was hunted all over the land by his predecessor, King Saul. But that King Saul was previously a a mentor, kind of like an adopted father to him. He became his father-in-law. And then he decided that he wanted to kill David because David was a threat to his rule. So think about not just the physical danger of that and like being out in the desert wilderness running from that, but also the betrayal that came with that. Uh, Later, it happens again in a different way. David's son, Absalom, turns against him because Absalom wanted to be king in David's place. And so he leads an almost successful uprising against him. So fear of death, broken relationships, betrayals, like this is all part of David's life when he's saying things like, I shall not want, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Church, we should be characterized by that kind of peace and confidence in God that we see here. Just being calm and steady in the midst of the real trials that many of us have in our lives is a testimony to an anxious world about how good our shepherd is. So that's the second application. Like, live like we actually are the sheep of this good shepherd. And as you stray from it, like, let him bring you back and remind yourself of what's really true. And then finally, third application, follow the shepherd where he's leading. Trust him for, for provision. As Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Like, follow him to green pastures and still waters as he responds to that prayer. Follow his lead into paths of righteousness. The, the Lord hasn't left us wondering how to live. He's revealed his design and his will for us in his word. So dig into it. Like actually read his word. Um, learn what it means. Talk with friends about it. And obey what you learn. We thrive and God is glorified when we obey what he commands. When we walk in paths of righteousness, it reflects on him for his name's sake. Finally, follow his lead into his presence. To dwell in the house of the Lord means to spend time in God's presence in prayer and in worship. So don't just learn about him. Don't just talk about him. Don't just sing about him like he's off somewhere else, but be with him. So we're about to receive communion and to sing a couple more songs in response to what God is revealing to us in his word. He's inviting you to dwell in his house so you can act on that right away this morning. Not just make it words that we say and things we think about, but ask him to let you experience the presence that he says is here. Like he's actually here, but he's not a bully about it. <laughs> he's uh, kind of a gentleman and comes to us when we invite him to. Uh, let's pray. <clears throat>